Welcome. This is Anastasia Glova bringing you the Cato Daily Podcast. Be sure to log on to our website, www.cato.org, for a full archive of our podcast as well as many other audio offerings. This week, the Cato Institute hosted a seminar in New York City. Among the speakers was Wall Street Journal political columnist John Fund, who discussed what the midterm elections mean for the new Congress and for the upcoming presidential race. In today's podcast, he shares some of his thoughts on the defeats and victories of November 7th. John, what mistakes do you think were made in this election? The easy way to answer is where does one begin? The mistakes were made mostly by the Republicans, and they began right after the 2004 election. I think President Bush deserves credit for putting forward Social Security reform, but he blew the marketing, never came up with a coherent plan, and soon lost the enthusiasm and the confidence of Republican members of Congress. So ultimately, the plan was never presented to the Congress. There was no vote taken. It was a humiliating setback. At the same time, the administration also put forward immigration as a very important issue to solve. But ultimately, it couldn't convince the Republicans in Congress to go along with the plan the Senate adopted. Therefore, there was no real vote taken on a comprehensive immigration plan in the House. And that was a failure. So those two issues of basic competence, can you pass legislation on issues you have told the country is important, they failed in. Of course, in addition to that, there was the Iraq war. That was also an issue of competence because people felt that there was no realistic or easily explainable strategy for victory. On the other hand, Democrats played their cards right by simply keeping mom. Well, a few people, namely Rahm Emanuel and Bruce Reed, who worked in the Clinton administration, did publish a book on things the Democrats believed in, helping the middle class. But the party itself pretty much decided that if their opposition was in the process of destroying themselves, why intervene? Why come forward with a positive agenda? Just see how angry the public would get with the Republicans, and then you have less responsibility to put forward an agenda once you take over. I think the Democrats have the maximum flexibility now that they control both houses of Congress. On the other hand, they have a lot of potential disagreement as to what they should emphasize and in what order. Now, conservative and libertarian voters all but abandoned Republican candidates in this election. What happened? No, not no. The vast majority of them still voted for Republicans, but in a close 50-50 divided country, any defections are serious. So in Pennsylvania, for example, 23% of self-identified conservatives abandoned Rick Santorum. That's large. That meant that Santorum had no chance of winning. Across the country, on an average, probably 5 to 8% of conservative voters with libertarian leanings abandoned Republicans. Probably about 5 to 8% of conservatives with evangelical leanings abandoned Republican candidates. So there was a hemorrhaging across the board. It was serious but not catastrophic. It just cost them narrow control of the House and Senate. In the talk you gave at the city seminar, you spoke of Reagan as a model for understanding this election. Could you explain that? Sure. Ronald Reagan's career is a career of incredible perseverance and persistence. He constantly would put forward his vision of the shining city on a hill, conservatism, free markets, limited government, and he didn't particularly care if there were short-term electoral reversals. In 1964, Goldwater lost 44 states. Reagan's response, because he had become famous making that speech for Goldwater called The Time for Choosing, his response was to run for governor of California, a state that Goldwater had just lost overwhelmingly, and Reagan won by a million votes. 
Then in 1974, the Republicans were wiped out by Watergate. Reagan's response was, I'm going to not only run for president, I'm going to challenge the incumbent president of my own party. And he came very close to doing that. And then in 76, the Republicans lost the White House, continued to lose Congress badly. Reagan's response was, I'm going to run for president. And he did. He won 44 states against Jimmy Carter in 1980. In 82, Republicans suffered dramatic midterm election defeats. Reagan knew his tax cuts and economic growth would kick in. And sure enough, he won 49 states in 84. In 86, Republicans lost eight Senate seats in one night. That's even more than they lost in this last election. Reagan's response, I'm going to push forward. He got comprehensive tax reform through that year of 86. He recovered from Iran-Contra. He elected his vice president, George H.W. Bush, in 1988, winning 40 states. Reagan very much was disappointed that Bush lost re-election in 1992 because he broke his no-new-taxes pledge. But he also told his former staffers, be of good cheer, smile, stick to first principle. Another victory is just around the corner because liberals are liberals. They will over-regulate, they will overspend, they will overtax. It's in their nature, and we just have to wait for them to do those things that won't work, and the public will react, and sure enough, in 1994, they did. I think we're in a similar situation today. Reagan never gave up. That's why people who believe in a freedom philosophy should never give up, because liberalism doesn't work, collectivism doesn't work, and eventually the voters, or a larger percentage of them, will see that. Okay, let's switch this over to what the Democrats have been up to. What do you make of Pelosi's endorsement of John Murtha for majority leader? I would initially characterize it as an inexplicable disaster, except that I think she actually does know what she's doing. I think Nancy Pelosi, and this is what the liberal ethics groups are saying, cynically used the culture of corruption and the fact that Republicans had gone hog wild on earmarks and pork barrel spending and in a few cases been personally corrupt. And I think she used that as an election wedge issue, but she obviously didn't mean to change the tone and climate. John Murtha is an ethical waste dump. I mean, I can't put it any more bluntly than that. Half his own party is convinced of that. That's why I don't think he's going to prevail as majority leader this week. And if he does, it will be a sad commentary on the cynicism that the new Democratic majority is bringing to their control of Congress. Is this a smart move for Pelosi, considering the kind of criticism that she's had to weather from within her own party? She can weather it. I mean... She's still the queen bee, but it starts things off on a sour note, and it certainly alerts the media that this is a woman who is more interested in power than in, shall we say, ethical government. And I think this puts the media on notice that they are going to have to watch Nancy Pelosi. She's not just the heroine riding into town on a white horse. Any perspectives on the presidential race? On the presidential race, I think that Hillary Clinton has solidified her lead in the Democratic nomination. I'd give her a 75-80% chance of being the Democratic candidate. She's got the money. She's got the consultants. She's filling up the room, not leaving much media oxygen for anyone else. I don't think Barack Obama is ultimately going to run. Al Gore could give her a race. On the Republican side, I think the race boils down to two candidates. There will be John McCain, who's clearly the front runner, and an anti-McCain candidate, someone coming from a more establishment and more conservative perspective within the party. That someone could be a Mitt Romney, could be a Rudy Giuliani, could be someone else. I'm not sure. But it certainly is going to be McCain versus someone else. And what about that possible Giuliani candidacy? Well, I don't think Giuliani will travel as well outside New York as some people think. A lot of people fully appreciate his heroism and his 
steadfastness after 9-11. I was here in New York at the time. I lived through 9-11. I respect it. But Giuliani's speeches are mostly about the past, not about the future. And I think he has to articulate a vision of exactly where he wants to take this country. In addition, you know, he's a, he's a candidate from New York, which means liberal on some issues far more than the rest of the party. And I think the more people learn about Rudy Giuliani, some of the bloom will come off his rose. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.